Saturday night was more than all right for fighting. And your boy BC's here to break it down in Sin City. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. I'm in Las Vegas, less than an hour removed from this long, star-studded, packed, jacked, epic UFC 245 card from T-Mobile Arena. This is your SOC Instant Analysis. Get fired up. Uh, look, folks, this was a, a fairly epic card. A lot of big things broke out. Title upsets, a wild main event. We really had it all in this one. It lived up to expectations for me, having been there cage side. But boy, was it an arduous affair. As I sit to record this, uh, yeah, it's late on that East Coast. So, uh, shout out to those East Coasters. Pretty late on the West Coast right now inside my hotel room as I break this jam down. Jam. And you know, oh, oh, jam, Teddy. You know that the SOC has been here all darn week. Guys, it's been like once a day injecting you in your ear hole. I said ear. With that one and only unmistakable, untraceable performance, enhancing audio. Who else can give that to you but BC? We gave you a bonus boxing episodes, a bonus UFC 245 Media Day episode on Friday. Now you got the instant analysis. And it just keeps going from here, folks. All right. Sunday night, WWE TLC, IA for you. Boxing interview special on Monday. And then we keep rolling on from there. Boxing, MMA, pro wrestling editions, man. I don't know who's going to be the last man standing. Will it be your boy BC delivering the truth to this microphone? Or will it be all of you with me knee deep in your Coakley eye going, all right, that's enough performance enhancing audio. I must tapeth out. Yes. All right. Dad jokes are plenty already. I'm not impressed by your performance. Hey, oh, thank you, GSP. You know what I'm impressed by? The performances. I saw tonight at UFC 245. I'm going to break it all down. I'm going to give it to you straight and clean, okay? A lot of the sound drops I'll probably drop. That'll be inappropriate, but I'm fired up, okay? I am fired the heck up to take your time away from you, maybe take your health. I guarantee you, I will take that belt from you, and I will take your health. Thank you, thank you, Red King. All right, so um, here's what I'm going to do, folks. I'm going to break this night down one fight at a time all the ones that mattered that was a loaded five fight card i'm gonna do all that right after a word from mine and yours friends and sponsors coming up right now dig it hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back. Your boy BC doing it solo time while all my brethren and co-workers on the East Coast put the head on the pillow. But I'm here fired up and ready. UFC 245 in the books. I'm in Las Vegas. I think the press conference is still going on across the street over there at T-Mobile. But I am in front of this microphone ready to break it down. Three title fights atop this card. But everybody was waiting to see that main event. What would happen? Grudge match, war of words, all that stuff. But yet on paper. We had two prime guys that weren't that far apart in many ways. Kamaru Usman, welterweight champion, former interim champion Colby Covington. Two of the best wrestlers in the game. Two of the most insane cardios going in the game. Cardio packages. Cardio. Cardio. All right, we're going to leave it there. And both had a 15-1 record. Both had beaten the man who gave the other one their only loss. So... Two guys coming in that we thought were so evenly matched, kind of a 50-50 pick em. But I did say one thing coming in. I was the only one. But I did say, what would happen in this fight if the wrestling canceled each other out? If this became a striking match, I favored Kamaru Usman's power and next-level pressure. Kobe pressures you with his offense to set up the takedown. Colby, excuse me. Kamaru, I feel like, at least tries to get you out of there. So, it's weird. In the end result, the wrestling didn't matter. And Kamaru won, which I predicted. And he did a TKO, which I I, I thought could be possible if this was contested more on the feet. But I never would have guessed in the end that it played out the way that it did in the end. A sneaky fight of the year contender. Not brutal, but straight action the whole time at a hellacious pace. In which they both said and basically in round one without saying it, we're gonna throw that wrestling out the window. Throw our lightsaber over the fence and we're just gonna fist the cuffs. A little bit of kickboxing in round one, but it was largely a boxing match for nearly five full rounds. And it was fun as heck. And it was so closely contested. I didn't see the final scorecards, although I believe um I think Usman was up on all three, or at least two of them. Like I had it three-one Usman entering that final round, but really felt like it could go other either way. It was contested so evenly on the feet. I thought Usman did land the more telling shots twice in the first four rounds. It looked like he had Covington hurt and briefly wobbled. Outside of that, it was just back and forth on the feet, jab, power shot, looping shots. A lot of, a lot of just. Let's see who's the bigger man. And and I think that's a fight in the end that I thought and assumed would favor Usman. But this was just man stuff, war of attrition. And it's almost this odd moral victory for Colby Covington. I know that may sound crazy. And, and this character he does is, is way over the top. And it's designed to be way over the top to get you mad. And, and it teases on almost things that it shouldn't and it goes in wrong directions but it's been this facade that's tricked you into thinking he's not as good as it act- as he actually is and I got tricked and I was very late to the party that what I thought was sort of a one-dimensional attack could could continue to win at the very very elite level and then he just destroys Robbie Lawler and then you know there's many different stops along this Colby train where everyone's got to go you know what he is really really damn good even what I knew about him coming in, I wouldn't necessarily have predicted he would go five rounds on this level at this pace with this level of brutality 
with finding out after that he broke his jaw in round three and told his corner after that round that he would keep coming and prove just all-world toughness to go along with the wrestling and cardio. I think, oddly enough, he gets elevated where I wouldn't have guessed that coming in. I would have guessed that if he becomes champion and they put the rocket pack on him, his gamble paid off in creating this character who knows what the future is going to look like with Colby as a possible crossover superstar, right? I thought a loss might send him fading away because I assumed that a loss would come in some form of an exposure. I really felt like this could be a really close fight, but I felt like somebody's going to be able to establish themselves and establish some kind of control. Again, never would have thought it would have been a back-and-forth boxing match that was this fun and hectic and hellacious. I mean, they, they they poured it all out. They poured the whole damn jug out. So it's almost this odd moral victory for Colby. I have so much respect, again, regardless of that stupid character, for his evolution of a striker, for the confidence that both of them had just sticking to it. No wrestling. We're just going to fight. We're just going to punch. And I'm still blown away that nobody had a takedown attempt. Usman uh, uh, pump faked in round one, never committed to it. Neither one went after it. We had this kind of fight. And in it really was the perfect showcase for their dislike for each other to, to pull into that fight and how stubborn both were and how much both were willing to go through in order to get one up over the, their heated rival there. And... I'm going to get to Usman in a second, but Covington, he stepped up. He stepped up again to an even higher level. Uh, he can make fun, fight, fun, fun fights with this guy because he'll talk his way into him. I'm not saying he's going to fight like this all the time. Man, if he fights somebody who isn't a world-class wrestler, he typically can dominate them. But to know that he has this ability. Now, look, he's not a world-class striker, but he was able to get off against a really good fighter in Kamaru Usman consistently and land kind of what he wanted to even if there wasn't the appearance of a ton of power on that. But Kamaru Usman, um, he got into a, a pissing contest, and he, and he never stopped. And he, he, might be, he might be it. He might be the guy. And, I mean, look, if he rolls out of this and gets a Jorge Masvidal fight, that's a fight. That's a fun fight. A lot of potential outcomes in that fight. But for right now on this day, right, Late December, back in 2019. Oh, what a night. Uh, Usman, man. Man, he's a tough out. He showed me a lot tonight. He showed me a lot. Wow. I, look, I know you're looking for some better analysis than that, but I'm just going to go, wow. This fight was, was, uh, I mean, it's a pissing contest because we're basically putting our toughness on the line, our, car, our cardio and gas tank on the line. And just saying, who, who can outlast the other? And in that race, he barely won it. And, uh, you know, it would have been interesting. So let's talk about that stoppage. Um, you know, Covington wasn't not cold, but his face was falling apart. There was a cup below his left eye. He was almost getting to the grotesque, swollen level. And to know what we know about the broken jaw, I'm okay with referee Mark Goddard's stoppage at four minutes and 10 seconds of the fifth round, which makes it the second latest stoppage in UFC title history behind Demetrius Johnson, I believe, Kyoji Horiguchi. Um, but, you know, there's an argument there that Mark Goddard could have let it go. Colby was, was still trying to cover up and fight his way out of that. Could he survive 10 more seconds and gamble on the scorecards? He fought so well and stubborn and hard and fast to get to that point. 
yeah, maybe he's got an argument there. But I'm fine with what Mark Goddard did, knowing the health and the damage he had. Colby Covington had gotten dropped twice before that on hard right hands. So I'm okay with that in the end. But knowing the importance of what would have happened if it got into the scorecard shows you how close this fight actually was. And it really could have went down to whatever you preferred because the boxing seemed so even. Man, what an interesting fight. And I don't love that it extends so late into the night. And when you have three title fights on a card and all three go into the fifth round as what happened tonight in all three, it has the opportunity to be a, a, uh, a war of attrition as a fan just to get through it. But this was a fun little piece of business here. And I'm interested to see now where Kamaru Usman goes from here. I mean, Jorge Masvidal is the fight to make. It really is. That's the fight to make. Um, Usman's not super marketable. We know this. Covington was only able, able to really lift him up so much. But this was sort of a feel-good breakthrough win, especially if you disliked Colby coming in. So to see Usman maybe get that chance against a Jorge Masvidal with the, with the power and level of where his star's at, uh, I think that's a good piece of business. I mean, certainly there's an argument to make to just separate Jorge almost from that title picture for now because his brand is so hot. So would he fight a Nick Diaz? Would he fight a, would he wait on Connor and try to fight him? Although look, let's be honest, UFC is going to put Connor in the title picture at 145 for a Khabib rematch before they would push him into a Jorge Masvidal fight. I would, I mean, let's be honest here, right? The Masvidal fight would be the perfect one to do should Connor lose consecutive times to Habib and just go, okay. He's celebrity fighter now. Let's have him move up and fight Masvidal. So, but I get Masvidal is in that red hot position where you just never know. They could use him in anything to just plug it in because it's so organic and, and sort of perfect the way that he's quote unquote getting over at the moment. But I want to see Usman matched against different style of welterweights and just see if he can do this every fight. No, not this, not box or five rounds, but. I certainly want to see if his wrestling style, if you're not an equal world-class wrestler like Tyra Woodley, did not have a prayer on the ground against Kamaru Usman. So I kind of want to see more of these to see if Usman is really that pound, you know, potential to be a pound-for-pound king and that argument potentially. This was a different kind of fight like we mentioned, so you don't necessarily get that. But yet at the same time, Usman showed a certain level of positives on the feet. That you do wonder, is he well-rounded enough? Could he go on a run here at welterweight and be a, a long-standing champion? It's all interesting stuff. Wow, what a fun performance. This is number one bullshit. Oh, bite your tongue, Habib. All right, this co-main event, guys, was uh, maybe the most impressive piece of business of the evening here. Alexander Volkanovsky lifting the UFC featherweight championship from Max Holloway via unanimous decision. Three rounds to two on two cards, 5-0 on the third card, which was surprising. But you want to talk about a guy who, look, I've known Alexander Volkanovsky is potentially this good. Never really interviewed, never talked to him. Went to Media Day this week, had a long chat. You, you may have read the story on on CBSSports.com or listened to him in the, in the uh, UFC 245 Media Day bonus interview episode we did on Friday, but... If a championship belt could be a put around a guy's waist just for confidence heading into a match, he was like already there and already it. And he was so boldly confident, not just I'm going to win, but using the terms that he did on the level of saying, I'm going to beat Max Holloway because he's never fought somebody with my ring IQ and my smarts and my ability to take your strength like I did against Jose Aldo, by the way, in June and use that against you. Why did that Aldo fight look 
so easy for Volkanovsky? Why did Aldo look lifeless, like he was just barely hanging on? I started to think about that and go, man, maybe Volkanovsky's right. These fighters in that oceanic region, Australia, New Zealand, they're jumping off of the map. They're having monster success, and they're doing it with a different mindset, style, angles, creativity. I started to think, if anyone's going to best Max, it would almost have to be a technician on that level. Because no one's going to outlast Max from the standpoint of getting to a firefight with him. No one, you know, has been able to catch up with him with power at 145 pounds. Max Holloway entered this title defense 14-0 and 0 at featherweight since that McGregor loss when he was 21 years old. He's 28 years old, and it looked like he was starting to build one of those all-time great resumes. And by the way, he still might. He still might come back, but he loses this fight because Alexander Volkanovsky boldly backed up exactly what he said he would do. Four of these five rounds, I thought he completely neutralized Max Holloway's jab. And that's such a key part for Holloway, who's got amazing takedown defense. He stopped every attempt from Volkanovsky in this one. But he's usually so much taller and longer than the other featherweights. He has the speed, the setups, where he can just take over with his jab. And then he begins to wear you down with those big right hands. Volkanovsky really deftly took that away from it. Started with pawing with both hands at the jab to sort of lean Max, you know, away from using that as a weapon. But the battles that Volkanovsky was winning with footwork were incredible. And being that close, it was actually something I could see very well. He was constantly moving and shifting and changing. And three of those five rounds, I thought he controlled the pace and the distance perfectly against a guy in Max Holloway, who that's what he does best in the end. And Volkanovski had this weird thing coming in where he's five inches shorter than Max, but yet actually has a longer reach, two and a half inches longer. He used that entire foundation there to mute and, ne- and neuter and neutralize Max. And Max, to his credit, I thought turned it on in round five and really went after it. But when this decision was read, having gone through the interview with Volkanovski and really thinking hard about his comments, it suddenly didn't feel like a surprise. It was like, oh, crap, this dude knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. This is a, a tough player right now. We've seen him get guys out of there. He's got pop and he can wrestle. But the key of what he does is in the the other half, the mental game, the footwork, the setups, the angles, all that stuff. His fainting was nonstop. He had the cardio to go five in the championship level. And if he can continue to disarm guys at this level of intelligence, wow, wow, it's going to be fun to see what happens with this guy. Because I didn't think he, I didn't know he had it at this level. I didn't know he had that. Look, it's one thing to game plan and shut down, right, when you're rising up and taking care of the B and the B pluses. But, again, Max Holloway hadn't lost in 14 straight times at featherweight. So it's almost like, you know, a flash knockdown as a fan. Like, wait, did I really see that tonight? Is that really what just happened? Max never loot. Max has come through everything. But this was the perfect game plan to, and maybe the only way you can get a still prime physical Max because physically he's so good. And I give him credit, by the way, for turning southpaw and making key adjustments against Volkanovski to stay in this fight. This fight was weird. It was actually really competitive, even though I shaded three rounds to two for Volkanovski. Two, like I said, two of the three judges had it the same. One had it five nothing. Saw other people online who had it in the four one area. Even though it appeared, if you knew what you were watching, that Volkanovski was doing this, Max was adjusting. Max was game. 
But throughout the five rounds, I don't have the stats in front of me, but his output was down. Volkanovski completely achieved in, in, in that one intention and it won in the fight. And I'm almost like humbled here. Like, you know, you don't see this coming. If you were going to say, if somebody told you ahead of time, he got Max, you're like, okay, man, maybe he caught him. You know, maybe he caught him. And this was a different type of victory completely. And a big one for Alexander Volkanovsky. And I think in, in a big one for that region, again, you know, you had Robert Whitaker, you got, uh, you got, uh, Israel Adesanya, you've got the, the, the Dan Hookers who's climbing. I mean, there's so many of these guys and Volkanovsky's right in the midst of that in his absolute prime. Hasn't lost in the UFC 15 and one overall, I believe. Very impressive. Absolutely very impressed. 21 and one is his record overall. Hasn't lost since his fourth pro fight back in 2013. Wow. Also, we had a third of three title bouts, women's bantamweight belt on the line. This turned out to be a interesting bout. Amanda Nunes gets a wide unanimous decision in the end. Rematch, of course, of the 2013 bout in which Nunes needed just a round to take down GDR, grind her out of there. The wrestling would be a monster part of this again. This is the new Amanda Nunes, the GOAT, who sort of just picks per fight. All right, I want to beat that person in in this one skill set. Wanted the head kick knockout against Holly Holm. Got it, right? We're starting to see that. But this was weird because over five rounds, Nunes dominated. Took GDR down at will. Like, no no stopping her. There were slams involved. I mean, it was dominance. But once Amanda Nunes realized that she would undergo a surprising level of danger on the ground in attempting to finish Jermaine Durand me, right? Round one, Nunes on top, she got through a lot of those shots. There was damage. Jermaine Durandamy was lucky to survive the round. The rest of the four rounds, though, when Jermaine Durandamy got in the bottom, she showed an insane championship-level stubbornness and defense to be able to avoid the type of vulnerabilities that lead people to TKO losses or submission losses if they get wary and they give up their back, and find ways to actually score from her back and land crazy up kicks that for a moment you're like is Nunes rocked almost get a wild submission to the end to the end of round four with the you know the head scissors triangle on, on Nunes who was lucky to break out of that that Amanda Nunes goes the distance here having spent basically the entire fifth round on the ground on top of GDR not really going out of her way to land something massive and getting booed en route to another dominant win over a former champion to pad her historic resume. And it's not like we're here to say anything negative because it was dominant. But the only striking success Nunes appeared to have was early in round one when a big right hand rocked Jermaine Durandamy and it appeared like it may be setting up her finish. And then suddenly she's down and she's getting beaten. And it was that. But outside of that, Amanda Nunes didn't seem to have any success on the feet. And with Around and between and, and before and after her big takedowns, Jermaine Durandamy had a small pocket of of opening up a tiny window and making a chance at a at a dramatic finish, right? Like that submission attempt that we talked about, like that crazy up kick, or like that sequence she had in round two in which two jumping knees appeared to 100% hurt Amanda Nunes, and she mixed in a head kick, but was unable to really capitalize on it because Nunes was stubborn, took her down right away, really was smart. So this goes down as a smart, dominant, yet really unspectacular win because it almost looked to critics and boo birds in the crowd 
that Nunes was just cruising to the end, that she didn't want to necessarily mix it up with GDR anymore to give her that chance. Now that could just be really smart. And we say, okay, well, she's you know, avoiding trouble. She's smart. She's, she, she realized it. And she, afterwards she said it really wasn't my night, but she did have the adjustments and I really don't damn her for this. Now, when you're, when you're called the goat and you're rolling through people and you're destroying Rousey and Tate and Holm and every big name you've ever faced. Yeah. We start to expect you to go in there and finish Jermaine Duran to me. Not as quickly as you did six years ago because GDR has really improved and, and is a world class fighter as we saw. I mean, her stubbornness and toughness in this fight alone to not just avoid being finished, but find moments of near mayhem that weren't there a second before was world class. But Amanda Nunes. Yeah. She 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 just did it her way. She was like, you know, I'm not gonna take the chance. I'm not gonna take that chance. Let's just take her down, sit in her guard, try a couple punches here, but really just run off the clock. It worked. She won. She advanced. It wasn't as if she wasn't showing you world class level on 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 wrestling and which she committed to in this one. But uh GDR had her number in weird ways in this one that it really made you wonder what would the fight have looked like if it went longer on the feet. But again, if you can take it off the feet and completely dominate it like Amanda Nunes did, who's here to who's here to talk bad about that? Again, moral victory though. Moral victory for Colby Covington in defeat in the main event. I know look, moral victory gets you nowhere. Well, no moral victory though can get you more fights and big fights. Um, I don't expect Jermaine Durand to me to get a ton of big fights, but this was a world-class performance in, in defeat, a championship stubbornness that she showed all around. So Nunes continues the streak of, of unbeaten, hasn't lost since that 2012, I think, loss to Katzenganu. Still remains on this incredible, historic, yes, she's the GOAT, she deserves it. Look at her damn resume. You know, there's not a ton of, of names out there in either division that she's going to have some super fight until Valentina Chevchenko eventually moves up and UFC really clears the lane to try to make that trilogy fight happen because Shevchenko came so close at bantamweight twice. And I thought she deserved a victory in that second one, like a lot of people do. But short of that, yeah, there's an Aspen lad who might not be a, you know, a bad out for a potential title shot, but there's, there's certainly not a ton of big names. Uh, you had Ketlin Vieira tonight, by the way, on this undercard against Irene Aldera, Aldana. Um, it, it just a insane performance because Ketlin Vieira, who was unbeaten, hadn't fought though in about a year and a half because of injuries, seemed to be one win away from securing a bantamweight title shot. Dominates four and a half minutes of that first round. Dominate. I mean, she's lighting. I, I'm sorry, I'm butchering. It's Irene. Irina, Irina, all right, I'm butchering. All right, we'll just establish that I'm butchering it. Anyway, Irene, (laughs) Aldana, you are absolutely incredible with one left hook from hell that knocks out Ketlin Vieira and seemed to knock out a title challenger who was ready. Maybe Irina, Aldana, Irina takes her spot, but um, the point is, there's really nobody to fight. So, huh, nobody, big business. And that's what happens when you clean out divisions and when you're nasty and you're dominant and you're historic. And that's everything that Amanda Nunes is. So shout out to her for moving the chains, getting it done. But I almost like instantly want to see more of Jermaine Durand to me. And in some weird way, I'd like to see her get a third shot in which it's just weird because she lost twice, both kind of wide and badly. But that was a stubborn, interesting performance. Um, Two other star-studded Bantamweight bouts to close out this main card. Uh, I want to start here with the opener. Peter Jan, 
Petrion, Pioteron, Pioche. However, we're going with this game right here. Peter Jan on this show. Okay. Shout out to Pioche Jan, by the way. Um, crushed Uriah Faber like we thought and expected to. Faber did linger for a round and a half in which he did sort of look good, but his face was absolutely destroyed by giant right hands. Faber showed an incredible chin to get up, but the younger, more dominant guy who should have beat the 40 year old legend did in the end. And Jan took a big leap forward. Like, Look, this Bantamweight division is loaded, and there's big names, and there's big old names dropping back in, and, you know, Aldo, Edgar, Faber, all that stuff, but yet, Peter Jan's ready now for a title shot. Him and Cejudo would be, wow, that would be an interesting match, the potential for the double wrestling. Uh, wow. Boa Cejudo's improvements on his feet, Jan boxing at such a high level right now, yet he can ground and pound with, with some ferocity. Uh, this was a really good win, and tough to watch if you're a Faber guy. I never thought I was a Faber guy, but you just sort of wake up one day, you go, you know, I've been a Faber guy this whole time. All right. Yeah. California kid. Yeah. I love the guy. Um, big waves, absolutely huge waves for going out there and taking this and then trying to win through it all. But wow. Ran into a young freight train. And this guy is, uh, I like everything about it. I even like the weird trash talk and the broken English. Also, we saw Marlon Moraes take a controversial split decision, or disputed split decision from Jose Aldo. You know the storyline coming in with Aldo ducking down 10 pounds. He had had those bold as balls comments to me on the podcast on Friday that, mark my words, I will be a champion at 135 pounds. I should have been here all along. This is a fun version of of Jose Aldo at 33 years old. At 135, he's bigger. He's a stalker. He's a menacing puncher. He's a little bit of a brawler, but he looks to try to finish the fight. He had a ton of trouble with Marlon Moraes' speed in round one and just getting comfortable, and he got rocked with a head kick to open the fight that, you know, for a little bit you're questioning if he's going to be okay, if he's going to right the ship. Um, I thought he did deserve the decision then. I had it 3-2 for Jose Aldo, and I was super impressed at his ability in this new weight class to find his his character niche and go with it. And in that second and third round, he his timing was better. He landed the bigger shots by far. But I get why two of the three judges gave it to Marlon Reich by split decision. Jose Aldo left his foot off the gas late, and really in the second half of the third round, allowed, allowed Marlon Moraes to hustle back in with pot shotting, distant shots, and really just get back into it. Where, Yeah, I could, could have saw him stealing that third round, but on my card, I had Jose Aldo, and it was almost sad to see him lose that because he he was crying as he walked past me at media row. He put so much into this. He really felt like he was reborn. And look, this loss could be a test of that, but uh, but he'll be back. I mean, he's a fighter. This guy's a fighter. You saw the way he went out on a shield against Max Holloway both times. This guy's a fighter, and I felt for him because, you know, he had said I'd never had a nutritionist before. I, I could have been at this, should have been at this weight class my whole career. He's strong at that weight class, and he'll hang in fights, and he'll be a bully, and he'll get hurt, and he's still – Gets hit a little bit too much, although, look, you're fighting a world-class guy on Marlon Marais, so you're going to give him a pass on that. But would have loved him to get into an early title shot. He's going to have to work his way back around again. But again, almost a moral victory for Jose Aldo in defeat here just to kind of prove that we're fine and I'm reborn and I'm going for that belt. And Aldo, as an old guy, as a B-side title challenger, is just going to be great business. And I can't wait to see if he can work his way back into it. But for now, give the title shot to Pietre Jan. Eventually, Aljo 
Sterling, uh, Aljamain Sterling will be back from that injury. He'll be right in the middle of this mix. Uh, we got Kobe, Cody Garbrandt's coming back soon. Dominic Cruz might be coming. I mean, look, there's a, so many names in this area here. Marlon Marais, also a name, but if Cejudo stays champ, you're not going to see that one forced or rushed. We have plenty of big names here. Big win on the preliminary card main event here for welterweight Jeff Neal. The former Dana White contender series prospect is just one after another looking insanely impressive. He did to Mike Perry what you're going to have to do to announce, yeah, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm, gonna, I'm in the title picture. He became the first one to stop him, and it was brutal, and it was one round, and it was a head kick and some punches, and Perry's nose was a mess, and he was hurt. And it's funny, I thought Jeff Neal leaped off the page again, and I feel like I've said that broken record amount of times, yet him in the post-fight interview said, you know, maybe two, three, four more fights, I'm ready for a title. Whoa, okay. You know, I didn't think he deserved a number one contender now, but I thought he made such a large statement there that he was a little closer in my mind without looking at it. But Jeff Neal is just smart, and he's poised, and he's big, and he hits freaking hard. And that's a really rough combination. And he's kind of uh, an interesting addition to this welterweight scene. Uh, middleweight bout, I thought Amari Akhmedov outworked him and did enough and stripped Ian Heinish of, of what he brought to the table, almost Volkanovsky-like, in a really smart veteran performance. Ian Heinish coming off the loss to Derek Brunson kind of takes another step back. I feel like he was out game planned and, and exposed a little bit in certain ways. And look, he's a young fighter who just leaped on the scene and he's strong and he can wrestle and he can do a lot of things, but he's going to have to learn these wrinkles and you can really only learn those in these type of defeats. So he rolls on and Matt Brown sending Ben Saunders to hell. I don't see how Saunders can live past this considering he's lost five of his last seven in terms of uh, being cut from the promotion. But Matt Brown hadn't fought in two years crazy stuff in his personal life. He'd been hurt and he comes back with Mark Coleman in his corner and, and elbows and punches just from left field and just nailing them. Good to see Matt Brown is such a fun veteran. And some people are calling him legend. I mean, he's a makes fun fights. I just have always loved his mentality. I love that run when he was a legitimate welterweight title contender. Remember he got one fight away when he lost to Robbie Lawler. If he would have won that, he probably would have gotten the title shot. And that run that he had leading up to that moment was just fun. And he's always been a great fighter. And it was really good to see him get this win. You saw also some jump out performances on the early prelim card. Chase Hooper, just, what, 20 years old, featherweight, first round TKO over Daniel Tamer. Hooper almost got caught in a guillotine in the first few seconds in this fight. Had a weird run up the cage and backflip attempt to break it. But a lot of people talking about this guy. Bushy hair, bright prospect, long and lean, looks kind of nerdy like he could be cast as a younger brother in a movie, yet he got full mount on Tamer, and then he put it into like a uh, triangle choke with his legs while sitting on Tamer's chin and just putting elbows from hell before the stoppage. This is a strong-ass performance. And Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France just put on 15 minutes of hell. That was That was really fun. They just let it all hang out. Moreno in the end gets a unanimous decision. He cut a wild promo afterwards. I thought he deserved it, but that's a fun little fight right there. Shout out to those guys for for. I love the prelim fights that sort of have these guys. I like, guess a win could maybe one day push them up into that picture, but for now they're just card filling bangers. All right, they and they go into the into the backstage area, you know, and just basically say, "Let me bang with somebody. Let somebody stand up and bang with me." Yeah, yeah, that's it. All right. 
Thank you. Brandon Moreno gets the win here. Really, 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 really fun fighter. Jessica, I bounce back somewhat nicely here. I say that because she's a fun interview. This is her first fight since that title loss. She got head kicked. You heard her on Friday's interview show. But she came to win, had a back injury, all that stuff, and then misses weight here by six pounds. And it's not forgivable, and it's bad. And to see her just kind of say, yeah, I had a bad weight cut. I'm embarrassed. Yet then come out and get this, this you know, decision win that she deserved against Vivian Arujo. It's a big win for Jessica I to bounce back there. She gave up 30% of her salary. It's a public hit with the missing weight so badly. But uh I don't expect a ton of her. A ton for her at age 34, having just come off of the title scene. But that division is so narrow that I'd like to see her get one more fight that matters. Something fun. I don't know. Not a lot of big names in that division, but she's fun to watch to a certain degree. And really the first fight of the night, man, this could almost be your highlight of the night. Puna Hele Soriano, the middleweight, made his name in that contender series, makes his UFC debut one round to finish Oscar Pichota. And that's a brutal combination to knock him out. Check out that replay if you haven't seen it. Big breakout performance from Puna. He's going to have a big fan base with with Hawaii behind him. So he is going to be fun to watch. My voice is taking a crap turn left here. But that's your instant analysis for UFC 245. Fun night, top to bottom. Long night, top to bottom. But you, considering the names, the star power, the storylines in this one, and how close all three of those title fights were, where... You really had to make a tough argument coming in. Who's the livest? And, and to see all three of them either win or lose in such a, again, moral victory sort of way to, to really be lifted from it, it. It was great to see. This was a very, you know, this would be a type of, type of podcast where you'd almost wish you can get Sean Shelby on. And just from a matchmaker's point of view going into making this, this is one of those fun matchmaking specials, top to bottom, and it got it done. Kamaru Usman moves on and defends the welterweight title. We have a new featherweight king in Alexander Volkanovsky and the queen, the goat. The queen stay the queen as Amanda Nunez rolls on. Can't wait to see what 135 looks like after this, though, with what we saw in those two fights. I think I'm becoming a big Jose Aldo mark. It happened. I don't know how it happened, too. I don't know when it happened. But it happened, man. Old guy Jose Aldo just goes in there to bang. All right? And he's going to be able to rely for a long time, I think, on on elite, elite level toughness and chin. And it's not always going to be fun to watch, but I think he's at this weight class, he's going to be able to do that. Looks strong at this weight. Want to see more. Enjoyed this card top to bottom. Uh, I think we're going to be back out in Vegas in January for Conor McGregor, Cowboy Cerrone. I think that's January 18th, UFC 246. So, uh, for the great producer, Mikey Mormal, for my brethren on CBSSports.com that sometimes you hear on this show, we did a lot of great work this week. Appreciate all you listeners who jumped in the SOC. Uh, no rest for the, for the weary, like I said. We're coming back. Podcast a day for at least the next week. 245 in the books. BC's losing his voice. I got two words for you, right? Yeah, we out. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.